0: and welcome to the Featherston Booktown podcast. August 25th is National Poetry Day, so to help celebrate, we are releasing the audio from our late-night lit Poets' Corner event that took place at the Karakatia Festival back in May. You will hear some of the best poets and poetry in Aotearoa, New Zealand, with Poet Laureate Chris Teese, Sam Ducker-Jones, Frankie Leota, Rachel Buchanan, and Debbie Broughton. We begin with Sam Ducker-Jones. Enjoy.
1: Kia everybody. I'm going to read you <sighs> approximately 10 to 12 minutes of um, all new poems. Um, the nice thing about events like this is um, it's a lovely opportunity to try things out. So some might not land, and then I'll just like, I'll get rid of them. <laughs> An emergence. A cricket is walking up the wall and on to the painting by my father who is known more for his po- his pottery but in this case a soft focus oil of a bedside with a sheet and a lamp and a book which is said to be the book my mother wrote the clue being the blurry gold badge about sports as she of course got her start in sports journalism but this book was more of a poem and so i remember enjoying it in the 90s And when the cricket reached the top of the canvas, it flew or leapt onto my pillow, or I captured it in an empty glass, or I took the glass outside, or I left the glass uncovered. Sex Ed. When I ran fast, they said, hey bro, you're fast. They'd laugh. They weren't mean. They had a lot of friends. Wept. Freely, weren't ashamed except of their fathers, and they put their fists through windows. Understandable. When they scratched their hearts into scattered pulpits, I licked their mark like a nun. Manifest land. Build a deck on your roof, spread your legs on the bus. Wear a backpack in a crowd, or a big hat at the movies. (laughs) Bring your pointiest elbows. Rename trees and remove them. Cut those useless giants down. Put a lamb. Visit towns with blood you can't see. Fill them up with blood you can. Pour demolished stadiums into harbours. Pop new stadiums on top. Olay, 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 olay. Oh, I've forgotten why I came into this room. How embarrassing. (laughs) (laughs) Roots. She grew up on a farm, you see, where there simply were no trees. And everyone had horses. Her mother and her father, her brothers, they all had horses and her friends at school, and even the shearers, she believes they had horses too. And her grandmothers, and her grandfathers, well, they had horses of a kind you don't see anymore. That's three generations, right there, so one must empathise when she speaks of the bush with a shiver for she needs to be able to see the land on which her ancestral horses stand and everyone is so friendly here and she has worked very hard she never got any handouts she deserves her horses and that mountain she deserves that mountain too Images We're on gardening detail. We're on pruning. We mind the porcupines. We mind scorpions. Other mornings, snakes, wasps. We're on pruning. We prune the suckers. We are secret police. Pruning. We turn up at the door of a tendril and say, You, come. And we dispatch them there in front of all the other fronds. It's August. 2001 and dawn on the kibbutz. The other gardeners have discovered, once again, that local Bedouins have swiped the copper caps off the irrigation system, precious geysers jagging up amongst parched jojoba. We jump into the tractors, we pull them into gear. <clears throat> the mother is speaking to her chairs. The mother was born in a large city in 1956. The father was born in a small town in 1957. They met each other in a third place in 1979. They got married in a large city in 1980. They moved together to the small town in 1981. The first child was born there in 1982, Their second child was born there in 1984, Their third child was born there in 1986. The mother's uncle died in 1988, he left her six good chairs. Over a period there are approximately two cats, three mice, four rats, five fish, six birds and one dog. By 2003, the mother and father have split up. By 2004, all the animals have died. By 2005, all the children have moved out. And the mother has the six chairs recovered. It was expensive, but, she argues, it has been such a long time. And the first child gets a pet. He phones the mother to tell her. He says how he talks with the pet, and how nice it feels. The mother says, well, I talk to my chairs, so yeah, I understand, yeah, I get it. I say, hello, chairs. I love you, chairs. You are so beautiful, chairs. And the first child says, good, ma, that's good. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Okay. Bye, hon, she says, and they hang up. And this one's a new wish poem um, that our esteemed poet laureate um, generously published on the spin-off last year. Coping poem. She has just said, lean in. She said, oh God, I was about to say, lean in. And so by accident, she has said it. They were huddled at a small, uncomplicated table. They were literally leaning in. Oh, God, she said. Lean in, he said. Let's just lean in. Let's go ahead and lean in. And then keep on leaning in, he continued, till we're all completely prone. (laughs) Then just stay there for a while, seriously, she added. Yes, they both agreed. They laughed and they agreed. They agreed that in this pair of our moored 2022, they might as well lean in and right on through and out the other side, because what else? They sighed. Oh God, she said. And they leaned back into their complex seats. And they leaned hard and effective. And they dug in too and kept their soils damp. And they leaned with thickened atmospheres and with brows cocked all the way up. And in smart shoes, they leaned in and in. They leaned all the way into the linoleum. They did, and then stayed there for a while. Yes. Collections. Schubert died at 32. It is burned into her brain. Chopin died at 39, and that is burned into mine. We know things and are friends. Sati ate only white food, I heard that somewhere. We are outfitting ourselves for such brilliant graves. Beethoven died at 56, according to a poem, and though the poem was a fantasy, I've no desire to fact check it. We are friends and the truth is a television at the bottom of a lake. Sati ate only white food. He knew many glamorous Parisians. We are many glamorous Parisians. We hold hands. We go la, la, la. <laughs> On apophenia. Hello, I said, table for one, and was seated by a window. I ordered a chicken thing and a beer and I took out my book and then a man came into the restaurant. Hello, he said. Table for one. And we're seated by another window. He ordered a beer and a chicken thing, different to my chicken thing, and he took out his book. I sipped my beer and thumbed my book and he sipped his beer and read his and I thought, there are two men dining reading alone in this small restaurant. I thought, how about that? And then a third man walked into the restaurant. Hello, he said, table for one. And we're seated beside the remaining window. He ordered a beer and a chicken thing that may have been the same as my chicken thing, or the second man's chicken thing, or it may have been its own chicken thing. And he took out his book. All of us are now reading our books, and we are all sipping our beers, and we are all waiting for our chicken things. Mine arrives first. The second man's arrives second. The third man continues to read his book and sip his beer, and then his arrives too. The third man eats quickly and leaves. He says, that was delicious, thanks, and he leaves. The second man finishes second. He says, thank you, that was delicious, and he leaves. In my book, the husband was thought to have died, but then showed up in the morning and made breakfast. I finished my meal. I say, delicious, thank you. And on the way home, see three white swans, alight onto the cab of a burning yellow ute, and the hum gets louder and louder. Um, so during this Booktown Festival, one of the things I'm doing is the um, pop-up Gloria um, installation round the back of the hall. And on um, uh, Friday, um, some of the local Rainbow Youth from the high schools um, came and did some poetry workshops there, which was really great. And one of the things I really wanted to, I really kind of... Uh, talked about with them, was that poetry doesn't have to make sense. It can just be silly and just kind of fun and just like feel good. And I shared this little poem with them. Costume hire. Come on, baby, fight my ire. I'm indoors, you're a lit cigarette. Come on, lady, bite my choir. Make them pure with your little threat. Come on. Maybe kites for hire. A full day. Now omelette. (laughs) Oh, this one's actually a bit older, but whatever. Gut health. Blueberries in the morning for McDonald's for lunch. Blueberries in the morning for a grape of an evening. Blueberries in the morning for a well-dusted lung. Blueberries in the morning for a backroom love. Blueberries in the morning for ballet slipper shaped shadows will-o'-the-wisping in my foot. Blueberries in the morning for monster trucks reversing its bead towards my heart. And blueberries in the morning for tire tracks sizzling in my veins. And blueberries in the morning for all the tiny beads that bud on my skin, but I fear the gym see my pillow. Blueberries in the morning for a fat salamander wrapped around my chest who laughs when I speak, licks its lips when I eat, and slides its tail up my ass when I sleep. I take blueberries in the morning. (laughs) And then finally, um, a little kind of slightly edited found poem. When I used to live in Featherston, um, I worked for a time at King Street Artworks, up in Masterton, a wonderful community art space. And uh, on Wednesdays, I think, we had staff meetings. And we'd do give little reports. Uh, a lot of the work I did there was ceramics with people. This is a version of the report that I gave. The names have been changed, but everything else is true. Report. Paul is planning a cassowary. Colleen lost a pedal. Denise has been banned for bad behaviour. Barbara fired the the Tower of Babel. Linda's cricketers came out fine. Dylan's back in jail. Pania's head exploded. Shirley made a horse. (laughs) Thanks.
0: (laughs) O te nei, ko, tāne, ko ngā hunu, a, hoki ka mihi, hoki, ahau, kāti kā um, kia ora Debbie. Yes, I want to mihi to um, the poets that performed
2: earlier of Pacifica Power, our cousins from Te Nui Akiwa. It was a really beautiful session, so I acknowledge them as well. And we both want to acknowledge um, Headley's booksellers, um, New Zealand's oldest family-run bookseller. They're selling Debbie's book and mine and they're awesome people. Uh,
0: and just taking a cue from our um, from Te Nui Akiwa, um, I'll say, of course, you've already read our bios. Um, <laughs> Uh, Rachel and my connection is a whānau connection, a hapu connection, a iwi connection that goes back many, 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 many generations. Uh, we stand together as Seattle Pa poets. Um, we also stand with um, Hannah Buchanan. Um, but Rachel, you've got Rachel and I uh, tonight. Uh, and where does our connection come from? Um, I think Tina Makareti said it really well when she talked about the re emergence. Uh, the re-emergence. The Renaissance, maybe, of uh, Taranaki female poets, which is that we were forced to survive and thrive in lands where, where, we found ourselves, because we were pushed out of other lands. We were pushed out of Taranaki because of the Musket Wars, because of the land wars. We were pushed out of Parihaka. We were pushed out of off our own finua because of the confiscation. We were pushed out of Te arupa, uh, which is in central uh, Wellington, um, and yet we're still here. So that's, uh, that's how I see our connection.
2: Yeah, um, it's been awesome getting to know Debbie. We are connected in many ways through our waka papa, but also um, my youngest brother is married to one of Debbie's sisters, um, but we're related further back than that, and I met Debbie because um, Debbie did a really wonderful uh, lightbox pro- project in Courtney Place, the Magical Māori Mystery Tour, and um, I was asked to do a poem for that, so that's how we started working together. So here's Debbie with the first poem.
0: Kia ora i This poem's called It's Deemed Advisable in the Interests of Those Who Are Not Personally Acquainted with the Country to Which the Following Non-Traditional and Not-So-Historical Notes Refer to Briefly Describe the Taranaki Coast and Indicate Its Main Features. First, let it be understood that the term Taranaki Coast is here given an extended meaning and includes all the west coast from Taranaki to Te Upuku a distance of 195 years. Second, let it be understood that when we say we are from Wellington, we also mean we are from Taranaki. And when we say we are from Taranaki, we also mean we are from Wellington. Third, let it be understood that we no longer say we are from Wellington, since we have been made aware that Wellington was a wanker. Um,
2: So um, this is a very old poem. It was published in 2001 in Mianjin, and um, I'm just going to show you something special at the back, a little analogue feature. It had a bonus CD. Um, and I recorded my poem after an amazing Kuri poet called Lisa Balair. And so I listened to Lisa reading her poem and um, she came out and I introduced myself and she said to me, we don't like you people coming over here and telling us what to do and how things are, meaning We don't like Aboriginal people, First Nations people in Australia hearing Māori people or Pākehā people or anyone from New Zealand coming over and saying, you know, it's so much better in New Zealand. Anyway, I just wanted to mention Lisa Ballier. She's passed away, but that was a really instructive encounter. This is a little bit more humorous, but this is the poem, which is sort of around that theme anyway. It's called The Immigration Experience, part two. Say sex, say six, say, say chilli say wee wall, say hangi, say hongi, say haka, do haka, say pakia say it properly, say fish and chips, no, say deep fried Mars bar and pineapple rings, say two power fritters, no, make that three and four bits of hokey and a white bait fritter, yip, with some bread and five bucks worth of kumara chips and a bottle of l p family size, say choice, heaps, thanks, cheerio, say Greg Chapel under unbowling bowling incident, say once were warriors, was not a documentary, say AJ Hackett, original bungee jumping company, say Tramping, Pavlova, Lamington Say yes, it's very beautiful Especially the South Island Say Lamington Oh, I've said that Say, that's neat, A eh? Say, held Chanuk Bar for six minutes. Unbelievable effort. Yerrick Gallipoli wasn't just the Aussies. Say, the piano was a New Zealand film. Say, Crowded House was a New Zealand band. Say, Kiri Takanawa thinks she's too good for us. Say, John Walker is still the first man to run the four-minute mile. Say, the Kumara does not know it is sweet. Say, Kiwi ingenuity, where men are men and sheep are scared. First place to give Pākehā woman the vote... Yes, they're very good at sport, a little piece of England, too Americanised, it's just like Australia used to be, but the situation is different for Māori people, there's so many more of them. They were better organised, the warrior blood, etc. Of course, they've got the treaty, well, even the Queen apologised, bicultural, not multicultural, problem with the gangs, black power, white wines, nuclear-free, clean and green, vast unspoiled wilderness, it's just too small, that's the thing, everyone's related one way or another, everyone's a cousin, know what I mean? (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. Um, so just following on from that and um, from my previous kōrero this is called Why I Can't Call Myself a Wellingtonian Anymore Dear Wellington I'm writing to tell you that we've made some changes here in Te Whanganui Atara Te Upoko O Te Maui That's our home which the New Zealand company renamed after you. I know, I know. You've never actually been here. And your name's not actually Wellington. And I don't know whether you knew that the New Zealand company had named the town after you or whether you cared. I mean, it's not like your name was their number one choice. Anyways, I get why the company directors wanted to change the English name of the town to Wellington. You were a colonizing superstar, stopping Napoleon so Europe didn't become all French and shit. Because who better to stop a colonizer than another colonizer? And you'd proven yourself to be so good at suppressing natives. Thing is, though, the, clicks, the clock started ticking on the whole colonization, bizzo, post BLM. One statue of Cook got pulled down, so they locked up another in a wooden box. Look like a portaloo, to be honest. Colonial names have become very unpopular, which has led to some changes. Wellesley Street, gone. Wakefield Street, gone. Featherston Street, burnt to the ground. Even GPS changed. If you type in Waterloo key, it takes you to Te Aranui o Pónike. And as for your name... Well, we found out what you did in India. They're considered war crimes now, Wellington. Slaughtering peoples, pillaging Tonga. We know you've got blood on your hands now, Wellington. Lots of blood. And we, we've got machu back. We've got makaro back. We've got Hikoi Koi back, we've got Pukiahu back, we've got Te Pa back in its entirety. The only thing left to say to you now is, well, ladies, you and that name which was not even yours. Your time is up, your time's over. Our Tupuna names are on these streets. Our Tupuna names are on these suburbs. This town, this region, people are saying their names. Sorry I had to be the one to tell you. Love and light. (laughs)
2: Road code, Taranaki is the word on the street—a permanent marker for Tiaru Pa, the underground resistance, staunch, sneaky, indelible Tiaroa. In 1877, the Crown took our land for a road. If it's long and strong, get do- get gone. Our relatives ducked, brace for impact. The road ran over them. In 2005, developers demolished a building on Taranaki Street. Light streamed in. Wakey, wakey, Fano the old people uncurled, rubbed sleep from their eyes, brushed shells from their skin. They peeped up the gorge to the mountain, still there. They stood up, saw a national museum, a national war memorial, a Les Mills Extreme Premier gym. They smelt the beer smell from the Irish pub. The pa was pumping, it was chockers. Better build an extension, something neat next to the water. Te Aroupa, Papa Kainga has also popped up at Greta Point. But Taranaki is still the word on the street. And, uh, yeah, anyway, I'll just say something about that. So if you live in Wellington, um, Te Aro Pa, we used to have land at Happy Valley. Um, That's a toxic dump. That land is polluted in perpetuity. And a land swap meant that a small bit of land at um, Greta Point, Niwa, near Niwa, is now a papakainga. It's social housing there. So um, just something to think about if you live in Wellington.
0: Okay, the Aniwaka room. In the Waitohi Community Hub in Johnsonville, aka another name that doesn't involve anyone with the surname Johnson, aka Wurimutane, on the ground floor next to the Akanehi room, there are several pepper potted men meeting in the Aniwaka room, and I don't care. I take selfies with the white letters, Aniwaka anyway. And when one of the men stands and firmly closes the door, I don't even care. Because our kaumatua recognised our ancestor, Aniwaka Duling, ni And her relationship with this whenua, by naming the room after her, our ancestor. And no, it's not a marae. <laughs> and no, it's not a wharetupuna. And no, it's not a whare kai, but I don't care. It connects our whānau to Homia Street, to ngāti Homia, to Taranaki iwi, Taranaki tuturu, to Te Aropa, to Opunaki, to Taranaki. It means she was there, which means we were there, which means we mattered, which means we matter. Like, not even just us generally, but us specifically, ngā or. Aniwaka Dooling, Rawaku, Leonard James durling And pinned to the wall inside the Aniwaka room are A4 photocopies with photos of Aniwaka, her mother, Anitekai, and her father, Charles Bloett, Anitekai's sister, Hanate Afitu, and Aniwaka's husband, Lena James durling And even though they are photocopies, not actually photos, I don't care. because it's the first time I've ever seen photos of my tūpuna from Taranaki on someone else's wall, apart from on the wall of Te Arupa Visitor Centre. And when I come back the next month, my cousin Geraldine's there to welcome us, which is unsurprising and also kind of perfect, And I'm thinking, should we mihi to our tūpuna? And I'm not one for karakia, but I feel like I could bust one out. And also, should we be doing a more teatia, a taranaki waiata? Do we both know one, the same one? And oh my God, will I cry if we do that? Because crying's kind of full on. For the first time you meet your cousin, not that I think she would really care. And once I'm in our tūpuna's room, I'm thinking about how we could maybe elevate the room a little. I mean it's new and nice for sure with its grey tables and grey carpet and grey walls but we can make it feel more like home, like change some of the grey to something not grey. What about black? and maybe put up a sign saying no shoes, and what about eating? Do we want people eating in here? I mean, we ate in here, and I don't think we were the first people to eat in here, but also what is the kawa in here? What about for fakato? Will women be able to sit in the front row of the fakato? Will women speak during the fakato? Because wouldn't it be pointless to name a room after a woman and then not allow women, apart from kai karanga, to speak during Not, Not that I care about those things. Because in the Waitohi Community Hub in Johnsonville, a.k.a. another name that doesn't involve anyone with the surname Johnson, a.k.a. Wiramutani, on the ground floor next to the Akanehi room is the Aniwaka room.
2: Um, So I'm just going to finish with something from my book. So this beautiful book, Te Motenui Epa, is about an art crime and a 40-year battle to retrieve these taonga tupuna uh, from Geneva in the Ōtis And the book um, is narrated and it's sort of through by the carvings and then the last chapter is narrated by the carvings. So I'm just going to um, just read that short. Um, why am I saying that? Um, statement. Hello, anybody out there? Yoo-hoo, it's us. We're still here at 1 Ariki Street, Namotu, right across the road from the sea. Tasman, they call it after some Dutch guy who tootled past in a ship several hundred years ago. Queen Street, King Street, Egmont Street, St. Albans Street, Tasman Sea, New Plymouth, are yawn. Our fare, puki Ariki is spacious. That is just as well because quite a few Ariki live here. We are on shelves, behind glass, or in our case, on a metal stand. Our little merry-go-round spins all day. We turn heads. We're on high rotation. We dance like nobody's watching. Often nobody is. We get some visitors, sure, but we want more. Who doesn't? Ask anyone in a retirement village, and they all say the same thing. Where is everyone? We hear a lot of moaning and groaning, and what am I doing here is kia tupato, and moko says on the recording, don't touch. We have to listen to that announcement all day. We want to be touched, but that's not allowed. No touching, no hugging, no holding, no hongi, no kisses, no selfies, no eating, no drinking, no talking, no laughing, no breathing. We made up those last few no-no's. People are actually allowed to breathe in here. We breathe, we talk, we mutter and whisper, indulge in a bit of ESP when the mood strikes, whatever it takes. The problem is it's rather dark in this whare, rather gloomy. The mood lighting, it's not our thing. The darkness brings back bad memories. Sometimes we get swamped in them, the chill of the freeport, the loneliness of the freeport, the feeling of reeling out into a locked, temperature-controlled infinity, like some sort of astronaut cut free from the mothership Taranaki. Silver pipes, shelves, crates, locks, clicks, foam. At Motunui, we were buried in the wetlands, a darkness that teemed with life, the tang of the sea salt, the tides of the soil. We snuggled and wriggled in the arms of Papa Tuanuku, she rocked us gently, hmm, so snugly and sleepy the darkness of a storage crate. Now that is a true dead dark
3: Kia ora. or Ulingor or Frankie Francis Leota. Uh this is kind of wild but um go. This is my first time doing this. Um, so I'm just, uh, my offerings are sort of, I guess, a gentle offering of um, musings of um, intergenerational and bicultural um, affections and love. So, yeah, nothing too <laughs> scary, hopefully. Um, so this one is called Process. I don't seem to cry much anymore. It's not even that life's all good. (laughs) Lamentation, grief, and joy do still exist, but the wet expressions have been replaced. Little black characters are now what I leak, landing next to each other in drips. Sometimes there's a welling up, and with a conscious blink, they flow. At other times, just one dehydrated, Acknowledging the feelings, I let them roll down like warm, smooth, salt silk. Tissues and sleeves have been replaced with paper, catching stanza as they fall. Absorbing sentiment line by line, catharsis in black on white. <laughs> Thank you. Um, So that's, yeah, don't cry so much anymore, just write down the things. Um, This one is about a plum tree which stood right in the middle of my grandfather's garden. Um, I'm one of five girls, so um, our childhood was spent enjoying this tree. I remember the dappled shade of the grand old lady standing majestic in her seasonal coat, Adorned in her amaranth jewels, queen of the garden. Perennial life on the peripheral, observing her stature, her strength. Her unapologetic position, dominating centre stage. Botanical matriarch, arms outstretched, gracefully awaiting embrace. As the sun-kissed girls with prickle-avoiding tippy-toes would run to her. Even though she was responsible for splintered fingers, grazed lips, and staining lips, violet hues, she was adored, generous with her wealth, her vitamin-rich jewels, and her precious little silk bouquets. She offered shelter, shade, and freedom, nurturing the hearts of fledglings and children. Until that January day, when Ōtōtahi shook Split and spat, creating victims and trauma, changing landscapes and lives forever. Gracious Lady no longer stands, her veins no longer pulse. Yet she remains strong, providing comfort and warmth as we sit in her presence and reminisce in her light, which will soon be just ash and another memory. Um, This one is called My World. It's uh, my observation of my daughter, Billy's perceptive and empathetic observation of her papa, her dad. My daddy's feet are old elephants. They have walked around for years in dry grass, rain and mud. They have stood lots of times watching thunderstorms come and waiting for them to go. They've walked with family, and sometimes alone. Even though they're heavy, they just keep on walking, slowly on their way. Sometimes the elephants get tired, but they just keep on walking because they know that one day they will find a place to rest. My daddy's hands are turtles on a sunny beach. They're smooth to touch, interesting to look at, and really strong. They look after their babies, and when they know the time is right, they show them the way to the water and teach them how to float. I was thinking my daddy's shoulders are mountains, but then I remembered that some mountains are cold and have sharp edges. My daddy's shoulders are warm, sunny day hills. My daddy's eyes are busy. They don't sit still long enough for me to look into them. But sometimes, when he remembers to smile, his eyes turn into chocolate buttons. My cup gets filled with warm, milky sweetness. When I squish my cheek on my daddy's chest, I am on his island. I can hear a soft there playing me a happy song. He is breathing waves in and out. I feel safe and relaxed, and I don't want to leave. When Daddy puts his arms around me, he is my world. Nothing would exist without him. So that's one for Billy and Willie. <laughs> Thank you. This is actually another one for William. This one I've called his story. We remove the bed and lay the falla. This is where he will sleep. We prepare the Meai, Sapasui, chicken, taro, beef. This is what he will eat. We buy the bars of boxed blue soap, bottled water and packets of smokes to punctuate the many hours. We drive in silence for 23 minutes, the journey to the beginning and the end. We squeak across the polished black floor, stooping to low as we go. He removes his shirt, revealing the canvas. They align his nipples in red ink. We sit beside him as he bends to his knees, lowering himself slowly forward. We inhale together as the blade licks the ash, only seconds until the first kiss. We cross our legs, lean into our thighs, adjust our ear, and exhale. (sighs) Ba'a prepares to launch. Tofunga funga dips the teeth, solo stretches the flesh, and with a primal beat, it begins the tradition of transition, now breathing in the room, centuries and seconds side by side. Living, deceased and not yet born, gather as the moment is marked. With the splitting of skin, shadows spill out, lacerations leaking ancestry lines. Totō wipes antiquity with the firmest authority, revealing his foundation, his lineage, his story. So that's about, yeah, Thank you. <laughs> So yes, I have four children um, and they are half Samoan and uh, yeah, although I have not walked in their flesh, they have walked in mine, but um, they, you know, I'm privy to their feelings uh, um, and their experiences, the good and the ugly. So this is a poem called Country Road Profile. (laughs) We walked into the store a metre apart, went our own separate ways. I turned right to view the clothes and you left to smell the candles. The lady at the counter said hello to me, even asked where I was. Then she abandoned her cold ivory perch to stalk you through hangers and racks. I watched her lifting a cup to check the price Shuffle and count the candles twice. I watched her follow you around the store, hoping you'd back out through the front door. Never did she smile or ask how you were, or if you needed a hand. Because my sincere sincere son-kissed child, the bitch assumed you were there to help yourself. Um, And this one is... uh, yeah, so you'll be familiar with half-caste, this, uh, the Samoan word is afakasi, which translates to half of one, or some say uh, Samoan mixed with something else. So this one is called um, When Your Kid Gets Asked Where They're From. I am afa of your tasi. I am the thing and I am the else. The womb that held you, the chamber that nurtured you, by muscle, alvao. I sheltered you. Within my walls a life unfolded as tidal oxygen and bloodlines moulded. My pulse runs, mist, my pulse from a mist-covered limestone island. Your dad's a sun-kissed volcanic island, yet our union was on neither one. He knows the copper soil from where he came has felt ancient heat beneath his feet smelts the fire that lives and breathes there, revived lungs with vast oceanic air. My veins run blood from Celtic lands, but have never walked the cold rocks. Gaelic ancestry, foreign, yet so clear, evidence manifested on your face of freckles and auburn flecked hair. You, indeed, are an island girl, grown from the land of the long white cloud. Your foundation, a culmination of diverse stone, to navigate triumphantly and call your own, so no matter where the tides pull or turn you or when people ask where you're from, always remember your first true home. I'll always be half of your one. Mum.
4: <laughs> Kia ora, uh, My name is Chris Teese. Um, Thank you, Featherston, for having me here. Um, I'm going to read a couple of poems from my most recent collection, Supermodel Minority. Uh, To begin with, this is called Version Control. It has come to my attention that we have fucked things up, not that we inherited the best bones to work with, some broken a few too many times, Others carelessly tossed into suitcases that no one will ever claim. The bones don't always form a whole. It's 1616, and they're publicly burning us to ashes for sodomy. It's 1885, and they've made us criminals to protect decency. It's 1998, and they're beating us, torturing us, and tying us to fences. It's 2023, and they're rediscovering old ways to erase us. Each time we say it gets better or that we will learn from the past, we set ourselves up for crushing failure, jinxed and cursed, a self-addressed envelope for a future that will never come to pass. This time is no different from all the other times. In one version, we were golden, Our nights sweetly perfumed by the sea breezes of childhood holidays and apple crumble just out of the oven. We failed to mention that one year, a young boy's body washed ashore in non-accidental circumstances and later, bad wiring in the oven was the cause of our house burning down. In another version, our days are drowned in blue screen light, electrifying our brains and keeping us up at night so that we stew in the unmistakable stench of bodies rotting under the floorboards. We buried our dead, but we didn't bury the causes of their deaths, and therein lies the seed of our predicament. All these versions of the past are the same explosion replayed at different speeds, and our failure to act is the debris blacking out the sun. We can't bury the lines between then-now and now-then, hoping no one will notice they're missing and go looking for them to prove we haven't changed at all. We can't be that fucking naive. Tell me which version of the world you want to live in. The one in which the definition of a body is a loaded gun waiting to be shot, or the one in which the definition of hope is a meteorite passing over our heads and disappearing into the uncharted skies. Both are valid, but only one will let you sleep at night. Thank you. Um, This next one is uh, called Identikit. When asked to explain the lines that lead to now, you describe the shape of your body as it hits water, the shape of cold water, shocking muscle, the shape of fleshy chambers forced to loosen and acquiesce, the shape of your grandparents in their coffins, the shape of coffins that are too small to contain entire lifetimes, the soft and hard moments we can't forget, no matter how often we turn our backs to the light. You write this poem out of love, but even love can be a blindfold. The shape of you and your parents standing in your grandparents' driveway after being kicked out for talking to your auntie's white boyfriend. Your hand reaching out to someone you don't recognize in a dream, their silhouette branded upon your brain. You've tried to swallow the night and all its inhabitants, but they weren't designed for consumption. The night, standing in for doubt as you argue with your own memory. Waking up to the smell of pidanso yokjok The shape of a bowl designed to hold love. Love that is never spoken of because to do so would silence it. The shape of silence when you tell your parents you've fallen in love with a white boy. The shape of that white boy pressed against your body. Both your hearts shaped like hungry mouths the shape of your mouth biting into the world's biggest egg, the shape of years spent running before walking, your knees shredded and bloody, even after you grew the thick skin they said you would need in this lifetime. The years pass like a watched pot, but you imagine steam rising from its wide open body, flashbacks to the shape of air being forced into a lifeless body. Some incisions are made to clean blood, others to fast forward a certain end. When your grandparents spoke of life, it was whatever came their way. No one back then had time to hide behind the sky, to pull strings, to taste control. The shape of control does not fit with the shape of effort. A grounded bird tries to climb an invisible ladder to heaven, to correct a path the world wouldn't let it look upon, in case it traced a line too close to comfort. We all fear the shape of comfort when it belongs to someone else. Forgetting that we all look the same, buried six feet under. Both your grandparents appear before you on the night you learn how to take off your blindfold, when you finally recognize the shape of acceptance and how it might fit among the ruins of your rejections. It goes like this. The fights, the kisses, the direct hits. Unfolding yourself into a shape the world doesn't know how to contain. What doesn't fit, what doesn't hold true. The shape of your name, The shape of a bowl that never empties. All of these things fit together if you turn them the right way up. You run your finger along the lip of the bowl and remember what it means to be laced in time and not know how to use your hands to feed yourself. You count the years. You feel their shape flooding your throat, making a noise, making a space for what's to come. Thank you. Um, earlier this, uh, this afternoon, I did a session um, with graduates from the Fitorea um, publishing course, um, and we talked about editing and publishing. Um, I've actually written a poem for a book that's coming out later this year to commemorate, I think it's the 20th anniversary, 30th anniversary. Um, so I'm going to read that poem, and this is the first time I've read this out. Um, When I was asked to write this poem, I was also working on a whole lot of other poems at the same time, and they were sort of dealing with some serious subject matter. And then, so this poem kind of ended up being like my weird outlet. So this is called How to Edit a Poem. Do not follow it. (laughs) How to Edit a Poem. Let the poem approach you first. Don't point, don't scare it. Encircle the poem with broken lines and half-hearted rhymes to reverse any spell that may cause the reader's sorrow. Ask yourself, is the poem merely camouflage for the poet's desires? All persons, real or imagined, are questions and aphorisms double-crossing each other in pursuit of a revelation. Inside this poem, there are two poets. One is literal, and the other is metaphorical. Ask yourself, Is the poet a secret carried in a whale's mouth? Capitalize every word that reminds you of your childhood. Strike out every verb that will make the reader feel guilty for not living a wholesome and virtuous life. Inside this poem, there are two poets. One tells the truth, and the other got away with it. Ask yourself when did you last trust a poem? Interrogate each line as if it were a coordinate plucked from a map, a crooked staircase halfway to the moon, a wolf cries in the dark. the margins seesaw as you pull yourself into the poem for a better view to take it all in. There is no way out. Use the poem as a mirror. Use the mirror as a sucker punch. Attack the mirror with a mallet. Hide the broken shards and the feathers of birds and instruct them to land on rooftops when the night is at its softest. The town's sleep is disturbed by the crackle of crystal rain. Record their reactions. Respond, respond, respond. Thank you. This next poem so, uh, is called Cantonese. Um, late last year, uh, there was a little bit of backlash around Chinese Language Week, uh, and my first poem as Poet Laureate was about that whole thing. <laughs> um, I actually ended up writing two poems um, about Cantonese, um, and this one I didn't publish um, because I was like, oh, it's too sad. Um, and I wanted to be, like, fiery instead. Um, but this poem is I'm going to be appearing in an anthology um, uh, from writers with a connection to Hong Kong, um, which is coming out later this month. So this is called Cantonese. The list of topics in which I can have conversations with my dad in Cantonese shrinks with each passing year. I can ask him how to steam egg to the perfect silky consistency. I can tell him I'm too busy to visit because I have a poem to write. He can share his regrets with me, but I can't offer comfort back to him in his first tongue. I can only nod to show that I understand. The limits of your language define the limits of your world. In the world I share with my dad, we're both on the sidelines expecting each other to leap onto the court with effortless words to play a syncopated game. Instead, we fault ourselves in two languages, and I hear the hesitation in his voice when he switches to English because we've reached an impasse. In these moments, my biggest regret is not having done enough to speak to his heart. Even this poem won't make a difference. Even this poem is a wall. Thank you. Um, I've just got two uh, more short poems. Um, This one was meant to be in Supermodel Minority, um, but it got cut at the very, very last minute. Sometimes you you think a a poem is just gonna be one of those important, central poems, um, but sometimes they decide, actually, no, not not my time. Um, And this poem is um, about that feeling that you get every time you see a headline in the news about another mass shooting. Um, And this week alone, I have just started to feel like I can't even keep track of whatever shooting people are talking about. Uh, So this is called Now. Now is news. Now is a current affairs show sponsored by a sugar-free drink. Now is all the shades of blood we've gleaned from police procedurals and body cams. Now we know how to react to another lifeless body shared on social media. Now is a call-out in the middle of the night that the media will sensationalize, that an ambiguous noun cannot comprehensively address, because they choose their words based on the perpetrator's skin color or the heartstrings dangling from the victim's backstory. Now we wonder if this is where our children's futures play out, drowning in the fuzzy hum of television sets stuck on tragedy, now, when you were the blunt force trauma they brought to an election after party. Now, when the world was a set of scales no one trusted, tipping between the inertia of another moment of silence and now is not the time for politics. Now is a schoolyard. Now is a massage parlor in a mosque. Now is a cafeteria serving today's special. Now is the swampy heat of a basement club. Now is a safe space. Now is rendered void, now is never here when you need it. Now is forever lost, faster than a weapon thrust into breath, bigger than a front page headline in red, more invisible than a queer body or a coloured body hiding in plain sight, but foolishly thinking that your skin peeled back is of no alarm, because now the real world is out there trapping its young, and we are so easy to convince that now will one day come. So, I will read... Um, something that is not a love poem, but it is, I think, um, a little bit hopeful. This is called um, "Wolf Spirit Fade Out, and it's from um, my, my, sp- uh, my previous book, He's So Mask. "Wolf Spirit Fade Out. There's a song you cannot trust to keep you bathed in colour. It pounds like a 90s house piano track until your legs turn to smoke. It fades into shadow, It stops smiling when you enter a room. The last light falls from your face as the moon carves its way out of the sky. This song is the death of the wolf, is the death of days you thought you were both still singing, passing into wild youth, diminishing from earshot. Just be happy for having danced with the wolf, his clear solitaire eyes, his tracks in your history. Be brave. Press. Repeat. Thank you very much.